Before we get rolling into today's podcast, I want to tell you about our awesome sponsors that uh, keep this thing free for you guys. So first we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there. Check it out. Uh, You can get signed up for uh, Traded Hunts where you put in your location, the kind of birds you're after, you know, the type of things that you do. And uh, you can search around on there, see other people, their areas, what they go after, and you can talk with each other and get linked up and trade hunts with each other. So rather than hiring an outfitter or a guide, if you're on a budget or kind of want to do a little bit of a DIY thing, you can get linked up with some people, go hunt their area, they come out and hunt in your area. It's a really cool thing. Also on there, there's some forums, you know, duck hunting, waterfowl hunting in general, different tips and advice, things like that. And they also have a lot of merchandise, really cool stuff. And in their merchandise, they have the Salty Fowl line of clothing, where 100% of the profits from that go to uh, Eider Research out there on the coast. So really cool cause. Go check it out. Go buy some stuff. Get on some trade of hunts. You definitely won't regret it. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano. He's up there in northeast Kansas, and he uh, specializes in waterfowl, turkey, and deer. You can check him out on Instagram at Steady Wing Outfitters. Uh, and if you want to book a hunt, you can give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. They're over there in North Dakota. They're making a bunch of awesome hunting and fishing content. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Go check them out for some high-quality stuff. They also have a website with some merchandise and other things on it. Uh, the website is 701pursuit.com. That's the numbers, 701pursuit.com. So check them out, all the places that you have social media. They're on there somewhere. Next, we have Bulldog Baits. It's over there in western Oklahoma. Uh, they're making crankbaits, jigs, soft plastic, spoons, jig heads, sinkers, anything you need for fishing. They've got it. So you can check them out on uh, Instagram. It's bulldog underscore baits. And if you want to go on their website to order some stuff, it's bulldog-baits.square.site. So if you're needing anything, definitely, definitely go check them out. Also, on the same note, we have Stump Thumper Baits. Their website is stumpthumperbaits.com. They also have soft plastics, jigs, all that type of stuff. Want to check them out too on Instagram. Their handle is at stumpthumperbaits. They're also Facebook, anywhere else. Now we have Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's over in the San Antonio area. Uh, He's hunting ducks, geese, anything waterfowl you guys want to get on over there down in Texas. You can give him a call at 361-494-7868. You can also find him on Facebook. Uh, His name is just Waylon Johnson. See what he's been up to. Check out the cool birds down there. All that good stuff. And lastly, we have my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. Uh, I specialize in retrievers, but I train all sorts, basic obedience, force fetch, waterfowl upland, anything you're looking to get done with your dog, I can help you out with. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the normal places. It's H-I-L-I-N-E retrievers. And then if you're looking for some advice or looking to uh, get set up with some training, give me a call. My number is 406 seven eight three seven zero eight three thanks a lot thanks to our sponsors go check them all out and enjoy the show well,
covey took wing shotguns singing a pointing dog down in the old logging road and then he got three and looked back a grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload the country was cold all right welcome to the woods and water podcast this is Garrett today we have Zach Johnson back on uh He's with Northern Pursuit Taxidermy up in Evansville, Minnesota. Specializes in uh, all sorts of birds. So I guess if you want to reintroduce yourself to uh, the new listeners, kind of tell them what you do, where you're at. Sure. Uh, yeah, so Zach Johnson in Evansville, Minnesota. Um, Northern Pursuit Taxidermy, specializing in birds and <laughs> do a few deer, but um, birds is the main passion and... Uh, Last time we talked about a few different aspects of the process and stuff, and I guess I got a few things to add to it, but... Yeah, so let's start with that. Um, on your competition mounts, you left out a part that was different from regular mounts, so what was that? I guess what what is... I guess restart. What <laughs> is the difference between a competition mount and a regular mount? Um, yeah, so it was just like some small things... Um, um sculpting the eyelids on our uh eye rings whatever you want to call them um that's the thing a lot of people do for competition and it's a lot of just small stuff that a judge would look for versus like a customer is probably not going to notice a lot of small things uh anatomy wise even sometimes mounts you know like the anatomy will be off just a little bit just to show the bird maybe a little bit better or show off the colors but um, the one thing that I left out, um, was why, why I had explained how I do the stuff for the competition, but I was, I'm in professional level where next year I'll be in masters where they, some people will do a little bit more yet, which is, uh, um, in the nasal cavity, there is some details, uh, they're called nasal posts. If you shoot a duck and you look up inside the hole on the side of their bill you'll actually see there's like a i don't know how to explain but like just a little tiny chunk and you can actually see through the nasal passage um where like on a when you buy a artificial bird head it doesn't have that detail in there it's just closed off just like a little divot in there um so some guys will dremel it out and kind of shape that detail in there um i actually did one this year for the competition for to try to get some bonus points and kind of practice for the future and get a critique on it and i like i cut the bill um off of the head so i cut like through the skull and took the bottom and top bill apart so i had three parts and i molded and casted all that so i was able to get all those details because I'm probably not good enough with a Dremel to get it. You know, it's like smaller than the tip of a toothpick, some of the parts in there. So, um, so yeah, that's something like in Masters that some people will do. And then there's even like higher levels of competition, like the national competition and world competition that I didn't even really get into. Um, I was just talking at that time about a state-level competition um, and professional. Um, so 
this summer I might actually go to the national competition in South Dakota. And at that, even in professional at that level, you everybody's going to be putting those details and stuff in there too. So, and that's along with the other, the foot injection, getting that spot on and stuff like that, that we talked about last time. So, but that was just one thing I kind of forgot about bringing up last time. Cause I was just thinking about what I would normally do for professional. So how do you, um, do they just let anyone enter any of the levels when you guys go to the contest? Can like someone who's extremely good just take one of their perfect birds and drop it into your level and sweep away the competition, or is there like different levels? Yeah, so <clears throat> a lot of people like when they start out, they're gonna there's like the novice division at the state level, and um, that's kind of the beginner one. Then there's professional, and then masters. Um, I'm not sure if you have to start in novice. Um, I think you can start in professional if you want. Um, But once you win professional best of category twice, then you have to move up to masters. You can move up to masters if you win best of category in professional once, um, but you don't have to till you win twice. So I won it this year again for the second time. So I'll move up to masters next year. Once you go up to masters, then you're not going to be able to, you know. Yeah, you can't move back. Once you move up, you right. can't go back. Okay, that makes sense. So otherwise, that'd yeah. be cheap. You know, somebody who's really right. good could and just, if they wanted a bunch of ribbons, they could just drop it in wherever. Right, and like a lot of people are there more for like the learning and just like the fun weekend. Um, it's not, you know, it's not really too much about. Obviously, it's fun to win a bunch of ribbons. I'm not gonna lie, you know, about that. But um, <clears throat> and there's like some talk about, you know, if somebody goes to nationals and wins like the best bird at nationals and then brings it to their state show next year. You know, there's some talk about, I don't know if there's any rules against it, but you know, like some people think it's kind of, I don't know, like cheap. Kind of league. cheap. Yeah. <clears throat> just like, but also some people were saying like, if I was good enough with a bird <clears throat> to win nationals, like I'd want to bring it to every state show. I could and show it off too. You know, that's another thing. So, um, and most people are pretty excited to see good bounce at their shows too. So I don't know. It's kind of. So when those are going on, do you just kind of walk along and look at everyone else's mounts and kind of critique them too? And like, do you ever get like jealous? Like, I wish I could do that. Or do you like pick out things that you're like, I need to start looking at learning how to do that. I guess. I don't know how much on a bird mountain you can really pick out. You might have a different eye as a taxidermist, but. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, this would be the third year that I've went to the state show and like every year um, there's like inspiration in it more than anything. I think like seeing other mounts and pose ideas, like, and even uh, when people make their own bases and stuff, you know, they do some cool stuff and, you know, kind of, you know, take pictures of stuff or keep it in your mind just for like in the future, make, you know, maybe doing your own rendition on something that you thought was cool, but, um, yeah, like, especially the first year I was there, like I had only mounted 20 birds or something. And at the time, and I was looking at some of the master stuff, like, wow, like, I hope I can do that someday. So yeah, there definitely is kind of, um, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but, um, I don't know, excitement maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just in- inspiration, I guess, too. Do you ever see some just god-awful ugly ones there like in the novice division some that shouldn't have even showed up 
Yeah, there's there's some uh, there's some stuff that's kind of rough, but um, you know, I think a lot you know people are you try not to like you know don't want to like point it out or something you know because they're they did everything they could to that you know to do their best and then they're going there to learn too you know so um, I guess more than really bad mounts I've definitely seen like great improvements from year to year in certain people. Um, there's also a guy in novice this year that came and he brought some birds and like, they were like super, he was super good. And he only mounted like five or six birds. They were super, like super good for novice. They wouldn't have like won uh, masters, but, um, they were, he probably could have gotten a decent score and professional with them. So that was kind of cool. So on the different levels, are they, I guess, what would separate the different levels? Is it? life besides those extra things like in the beak and or in the bill and stuff but like are the bases or the poses or what what are they looking at at different levels like what in a novice would not work in professional at your level um yeah they're just it's, it's like they're just a little bit more lenient on all the same things like um even like in professional you don't have to put the eye rings on but like if you brought a bird that had eye rings and somebody else had a bird without and it was maybe like a tie on the score the one with the eye rings is going to win okay um dock you for it but like in masters if you don't have eye rings like you definitely get docked and in novice you wouldn't have to have a lot of that stuff but you know if if your feet are super over injected or under injected they're gonna you know maybe dock you and you know show you that and how to fix that and so it's just more lenient. It's all, it's all kind of the same stuff. The um, the anatomy and whatnot is <clears throat> is uh, the most important thing, I think. And then they're just less lenient as you go up in levels. So, so do a lot you guys... of the stuff pick out you can't like I the critiques you get on your stuff. I'm just like, oh, I didn't even notice that, you know. So, so do you guys like each get like a table to put out? your birds for the day like in different categories and then there's just a panel of judges that comes around each table and judges each bird or do you have um, to bring it up to them or how does that work so like there's there's two days of for drop off um you usually pre-register all your stuff and pay for you know you got you get like a membership you gotta pay for and then you gotta pay for each i think you get three birds with your membership that you can bring and then any more than that you have to pay a fee each bird and uh <clears throat> so you bring it there on like thursday or friday and drop it off and they take pictures of them and then they put them out on tables like and it's set up per category kind of so all the professional stuff's in an area but they don't put everybody's bird next to their own bird like you know they mix them up a little bit so the judge isn't just like oh this is like because the judges sometimes they can recognize like a mount style from the year before um Oh, so they're so going they try- in blind. They don't even know the name on them. Like, it might just be a number on it for the judge. Yep, yep. Okay. And, um, you know, so sometimes they can kind of, like, pick it out. But, um, so there's one bird judge. There's one fish judge. There's a large game judge. Uh, so they, so the bird judge just, like, spends two days going through all these birds and, um, Filling, going through a score sheet and scoring the birds and and uh so when you're you get to sign up for a critique so then you um 
you get like a time slot to go, you know, like 10 minutes or whatever, go through your mounts and he'll like show you what he picked out on it, but you still don't know your score until, um, there's like an award ceremony. So then you get, um, like all the specialty awards, best of category or best, um, best professional mount and all these things like you get, you go up and get awards. But then after that, you go up to the showroom and then there's ribbons by all the birds. So you get to like see your score sheet and what you actually got. So those birds are pretty much like they're there and you don't get to see them the whole weekend or whatever it is. Like you can't be there while they're judging. Yep. Yep. There's like a couple times where they, they open it up once for like the community to come through, you know, they pay like $3 and they get to go through and they get to pick their favorite mount, like of the whole place. And then there's like a, a time where the, um, tax nervous can go in and vote on their favorite mounts too. So, um, so there's a few different times where you can go in there and look around, you know, and see other mounts and stuff. So and this year, our show was a little over 200 pieces total. So um, that's there's all, a lot, not just birds though. That's like fish and deer. And... Yep. Yep. There's deer. There's a, there was a moose or two and some elk and there's some African stuff, a little bit of everything. Okay. So what, qualifies your bird judge is he just like an old taxidermist from way back that's better than everyone else or how does that guy get chosen no there so we have like you get the a bird judge for two years and then you get like switch so it's not the same one every time um but usually they just like look for a really good taxidermist um i think a lot of times they want somebody who's won the world show before which is like the highest competition um so yeah our bird judge had won. I think he won with a turkey at the world show. Had like best turkey mount or something. So um, this was his second year. The one before, uh, the first year I was there, he won worlds with a or nationals. I can't remember with some black ducks or something. So I think that's usually what they go. It's like a world champion taxidermist usually. So then, if you know who the uh, judge is going to be, do you ever try to aim for like his favorite duck or his favorite pose or anything to try to get some brownie points? Uh, there was definitely some things from last year that I remembered, like shape. He really likes like a nice round shape, like, you know, like no bumps in the belly, just like from back all the way up to the neck, just like the nice, like smooth the whole way. Yeah. Nice. And I remembered that. And uh, I still didn't. One of them he like picked out, but he didn't dock me because he's like, I did find a picture where it looked like that. So I didn't dock you. But um, no, he was a very good judge, like learned a lot from him. So um, when they do the critique, is it just like they write down notes or do you actually get to sit down and talk with him about yep. what he sees? In yeah. It? Yeah. You get to walk around with him and I always bring like way too many birds. So usually run out of time and gets in a hurry at the end, but, but yeah, you get to walk around with them a little bit. That'd be cool. I'd bring a notebook, <laughs> write down everything you can. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get copies of your score sheet. He'll write notes. Like if he dock you points for something, he like writes notes in there. So, okay. Um, trying to think of having any more competition questions. I've never even been to one. I've never seen one, so I'm really agreeing on them. Yeah, I should send you a link. Usually, uh, every year they do like a walk around video at ours, so um, I can send you a link to that video. You can see kind of how that looks in there. Okay. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um. I guess before we start recording, you start. We were talking a little bit about washing birds, so we could talk about that a little bit. Um, I had somebody ask that too. I forgot to write it down. 
when you say washing birds, what does that mean? Like as soon as you pull it off, off the body, are you throwing it and washing it? Are you drying them out and then washing it? And then how do you wash them? So after the bird gets skun out, take the leg, I take the legs off and then, um, it's a, it's a flushing machine, but it's not, it's different than like a deer flush machine. It's, it's a wire wheel on electric motor and, um, more than flesh, it's the fat that you're taking off. Um, so you're just running that on the, on the, uh, inside. So you basically turn the bird inside out and you're just like going along and getting all the fat off of there. Um, and then when you're done with that, you, uh, rub it down. I, I rub it down with like a, um, Gojo degreaser, like for your hands. And then, uh, I take it to the sink, hot water, like spray it off. Um, I use like an actual garden hose sprayer and, uh, spray it off. And then I fill up, a um, the sink or a lot of times I'll just use like a tub so I don't have to use as much water. Um, fill it part way up with pretty hot water as hot as your hands can take and, um, put a bunch of Dawn in there. And then you just put the bird in there and work it around and then turn it back to the right side out. Um, actually before that you, I, you drill holes in the wing bones and like blow the marrow out of the bones and stuff oh, with yeah. hair. Um, so you turn it right side out, work around in that soap water, dump it, and then fill another thing of hot water and then just rinse it. And I'll do it. So I'll do a couple of those Dawn washes and then rinses. Um, and then I do a wash with, uh, like tide powder, like for, uh, like washing clothes, like detergent kind of, and I'll, I'll work it around in there and then I'll do like a, a fabric softener, um, rinse. And then, so it's like hot water fabric softener. And, uh, and then I'll do just a couple plain rinses after that. You kind of got to like blow water up into the <clears throat> inside the wings and stuff and get it, all the soap and stuff rinsed out of there. So, um, so that's basically the wash process is kind of tedious, but that was kind of a short version, but how many birds do you do at a time when you're washing them? I usually just do one at a time. So how long does it it's... take for each bird just to wash? Um, maybe like an hour of actual, like, cause sometimes I'll let them soak like in that second dawn wash. I'll just let them, if they're really bloody or something, I'll let them soak or, you know, put some, sometimes I'll put some dawn like right on the, if there's like a bloody clot or something on the feathers or whatever. But, um, yeah, like an hour or something. Um, sometimes I'll let it soak while I go and like paint feet or something like that. But it uh, it's kind of the tedious long part where you think you're almost there, but then you gotta like wash and wash and wash. But yeah, I could about imagine. So that kind of leads in. What is your least favorite part of mounting? Is that it? Yeah, it's either that or that or the fleshing part's usually the worst. Like, um, sometimes the fleshing, if they're like super fatty, you just got like there's just grease running all like that fat like turns to liquid almost when you flush it. So it's just like you got fat running all over, and sometimes it's like spraying. You know, it's it's gets kind of nasty. <laughs> do you do anything but, with the fat? Like, do you collect it all? 
No, I thought about it, but it looks pretty. It's pretty nasty. I don't know. Yeah, I thought I thought about it. You know, like the duck fat you can render. I've rendered goose fat before, like not off of a fleshing machine, but like um, actual like cut out goose fat and then rendered it and made lard with it. And it was pretty good. Um, but this stuff, like I don't know, I don't like clean the wheel or sanitize or anything, you know. So it's a, uh, I don't know. It's, it doesn't smell very appetizing. So. Oh, I bet. I bet. So then what's your uh, favorite part or the most satisfying part? Uh, probably, like, when you get to blow drying or the actual, like, mounting and posing. Um, the blow drying's nice because you just got, like, this wet rag-looking thing. And then you're, like, fluffing it up and it's starting to kind of come back to take its shape. And, and it's all clean and nice and... Um, but that and, like, the posing, I really like that part, you know, because that's when you're actually, like, seeing it kind of come back to life, so. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, yeah. could also feel like that would be the most frustrating part, the uh, mounting or oh, the yeah. uh, posing part, like, if it's not quite going perfect, and, like, just little tweaks here and there. But... Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, there's, uh, and birds are all different, too, like, sometimes you just have a bird, and it's like, sometimes when you flesh it their skin can stretch out so you're like trying to like figure out where the skin needs to move and it's just like it seems too big but you know your measurements were right with the body and stuff so like you just you're kind of trying to like make the skin shrink back together and i don't know it's kind of tricky it gets frustrating for sure (sighs) all right well since we're about at the tail end of turkey season it's perfect time to ask but we also missed it last time what what do you do for uh, turkey care? If you got one out in the field, you want to get mounted. What do you do? So, um, even if you don't even think you're gonna shoot a turkey or uh, mount a turkey, I would just say bring this with you because you might shoot something and it's like double beard or something, and you're like, "Wow, oh, I should mount that." Because um, that's what just happened the other day. Somebody brought a turkey in and. They didn't expect to mount it, but, um, so I take a garbage bag, like a, just a regular, like kitchen garbage. I don't know what they are. 20 gallons, maybe 15. I don't know. Um, but roll, like fold that up into a little square and take four paper towels, fold them up into a square and a roll of electrical tape and slide all those into a, like a sandwich bag. Uh, Ziploc and um, just put that in your turkey vest and bring it with you because it's like you shoot a turkey and then you know normally like I've always been taught to like get up and like run out there right away because you know sometimes turkeys can flop around get up and run away Um, so you're you should be like chasing it anyways or running out there Um, so run up to it and if it's flopping around try to grab it by its legs and just like hold it up in the air so it's not rolling around in the ground, you know. Um, obviously, you don't want to get cut with the spurs, so like, you know, be a man be about it. If you're gonna get it mounted, you can take a spur. Yeah, but you don't want to get blood on the feathers, so I don't care whose blood it is, if it's yours or theirs, you know. So you sure. probably don't. You probably want to be careful, but because I know those things. Like I, I actually shot a Jake this year. And when I picked him up and he was flopping and his leg was spinning in my hand and just that little bump, like it hurt a lot. Um, but you know, I know those spurs can get you and, um, 
but just get him picked up and hold him till he's done flopping. And uh, that'll just help keep the feathers from getting all tattered and messed up. Because turkey feathers are pretty temperamental. You can you can mess them up pretty bad. Um, and they don't fix up nice like a like a duck does. Um, so, yeah, get hold it up. When it's done flopping, set it down, take your pictures and whatnot. Um, then take, like, three of your paper towels, at least two of them, and, like, shove them in, their, in the mouth and into the throat. And then take the last paper towel or two and just wrap around the outside of the head. And then slide that sandwich bag over the head. And then take the electrical tape and go over the bag, not like on the feathers, just over the center of the bag and just cinch that around a bunch of times. So it's really tight. And what that's going to do is like seal that off. So if any blood makes it out of its mouth through those paper towels, it's going to collect in that bag and not be able to run on the feathers. Cause what <clears throat> Turkey, when you get blood on Turkey feathers, it like, it's like it pits or deteriorates them or something. It, nobody's been able to explain it a hundred percent to me, but um, they look all split up and you can wash them and wash them and it doesn't matter. Like, it's just like it, it they're just permanently like split and looking. Um, so what you want to do is not get any blood on the feathers. If you do get a little bit of blood on the feathers, um, maybe take one of those paper towels and, you know, like just kind of dab it and get it out. Um, or if, when you get home, put a little, uh, um, just like wet paper towel and kind of wipe it off um but so after you have got the head all sealed up then just take and lift up by its legs and slide it into that garbage bag and then carry it back in that garbage bag so that way it's kind of like the pantyhose theories that everybody talked about you know we talked about last time um but it's going to keep all the feathers laying nice so so you're you going to want to carry some, it by the some, legs though still right like in the bag, but yep. by the legs, just not carrying the bag. So it's rolled up in a ball in the bottom. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you're, yeah, you're just slide it in there and you know, the end of the bag will be right around those feet. You can throw it over your shoulder. Like, um, you normally would, but just, <clears throat> you're just keeping it in that bag and the bags protecting. Cause even just like rubbing on your back, if you got to walk a ways with that Turkey, you know, it, it could like rub the feathers and, and a couple could fall out or whatever. And if you see some feathers falling out on the ground where it was flopping around, you can pick those up too and, and uh, bring them with your turkey. And sometimes we can kind of look back into place or whatever. <clears throat> um, yeah, then just get it home. And like if you're, if the taxidermist lives close enough where you can just bring it right there and have them skin it out, um, that's what I prefer if people can do that. Um, if it doesn't work out, get it in the fridge or at least for, you know, if, for the till the next day or whenever um if it's going to be a few days you probably got to freeze it whole um but i just tell people to bring it in as soon as they can and i'll skin it out right away um like if you're on a trip somewhere you know guys travel around and you know if you just gotta basically try to if you're planning a mountain one hopefully there's a freezer that you can stick it in and freeze it till you can get it to your taxidermist or um if you can keep the turkey dry keep it in like a bag maybe you could get it put it on ice um i had a guy bring one from montana here the other day and he just froze it and then uh 
took it out of the freezer just like the day he left it and just drove home with it in a cooler, you know, so that, and that was fine. Um, I had one guy, just an Osceola from Florida. He just put it in the freezer, got it froze solid and then shipped it right here from Florida. Like a next day shipping or two day. I can't remember if it was two day, but so I guess usually two days. Yeah, that's that's a good question. We'll go back to Turkey here in a second, but that was something that was on here. How do you ship a bird to a taxidermist? What's the process of that? So in the Midwest here, we have uh, Speedy, which is like probably the cheapest way to ship something. Um, if you're shipping it in the winter time, um, as long as you ship it, I just tell people to ship them on Mondays. Um, so that way they're not like sitting in a warehouse or something over a weekend. Um, but pro solid, um, sometimes people will put them in a little cooler, um, like those little foam coolers or at least just wrap them in some towels or old blankets or something and get them in a box and I, and bag them up like super good. I, I always tell people to double or triple bag them because if any moisture leaks out of a, you know, if they can see it coming out of the box, they usually just throw it away. Um, so if it's warm out, you would have to do like a next day air probably, or maximum of two day air. Um, I would say one, like next day shipping would be the way to go if it's summertime, but otherwise just wait till winter and ship it on a Monday. And, uh, if you're not super far away, if you're going across the country, you probably want to pay for like two day shipping or something, but but yeah, froze solid, bagged up really good, wrapped in paper towel or not paper towels, towels or um, blankets, you know, you know, tight sealed up in a box, and and you should be good like that. Okay. Have you ever one ever had one show up that warmed up too much or shipping got delayed or something? You had to call the guy and say it's not going to make it. I'm trying to remember. There was, I'm trying to remember what the, most of them have been pretty good. Uh, one of them got, one time somebody shipped one and they didn't follow the directions. And instead of shipping speedy, they shipped it like USPS. And uh, so it went to our PO box because we don't have to get mail here. And luckily I was like, well, they said they shipped that bird like three days ago or whatever, two days ago, whatever it was. And. I, um, and I happened to check the post office that day and they had a package for me and, uh, I didn't really know what it was. And I looked at the name and I'm like, Oh my God. And it had been sitting in there, um, in the post office for probably that whole day or what, I don't know what, how long it was there, but it was still fine. It was thawed out, but it was, it was just cold. That would make me nervous. Another day on that. If you didn't check that mail, you might've been getting in trouble. <laughs> Right, get yeah. a call from your post office. Yeah, right. So, um, but no, everything else has been pretty good. Like, uh, you know, and then tell your tax service too. That's another thing. Like, don't just, because I said you can do that, you know, don't just, um, hey, I got this bird. I'm going to ship it over to so-and-so and just send it, you know, make sure you, communication is a big thing, you know, just. You know, you know, obviously check to make sure they're still accepting birds or whatever, but, um, you know, 
say, hey, I'm thinking about shipping this, and then I'm sure they're going to tell you the same thing. Make sure you ship it on a Monday. And, and, yeah, don't uh, send it Friday afternoon. No. No, and, and that's some people still don't always do it, but, <laughs> you know, if you ship it on a Monday, especially if you're paying for two-day shipping, you know it's going to make it there before the weekend. And um, around here, a lot of people ship stuff to me speedy because, we, you know, the Midwest, we have speedy and usually get it in a day or two, so. And it's pretty cheap, so. Well, Had good. yeah. And usually in the Midwest, a lot of people are driving, so you might know somebody that's going by somewhere that, you know, you can send it and get it part ways and have them meet somewhere with somebody or whatever. Yep. Yeah, that happens a lot of times. Yep. Oh, and then yeah, you got to fill out a bird tag. You know, if you're going to send it with somebody, you got to fill out a bird tag there. Or if you're going to ship it, you know, you want to fill that out first. Yeah. All right, let's drop back to turkeys real quick. What, I guess, is it easier or harder to mount those compared to like a duck or a goose? Oh, uh, a lot harder, a lot more steps to it, a lot more, a lot more anatomy can be go wrong or be off. Um, like, I would say it's more like a, it's, it's probably harder than a, I would say it's harder than a deer. You're a big, you know, like a bigger project anyways. Um, cause like for me, I'm out turkeys. I take the wings off, you take the fan off, um, take the beard off. So you're like doing things kind of in stages and it, it can get kind of like, it's, it's like overwhelming or stressful. You know, you're you got all this stuff going on and, um, <clears throat> but also kind of makes it, after you've done a few, it kind of makes it easier in a way because, you know, like right now I'm just focused on getting this wing cleaned up and groomed and looking nice. And then you're just doing the other wing and then you're just getting the tail to look nice. And then but like when it all comes down to like getting the cape on there and getting the saddle all perfect and getting the chest right and getting the head and neck, you know, and it's just like that's where it kind of gets to be a lot going on at one time, but yeah, time it's this, they're time consuming. And, uh, like the, with the blood issue that I talked about, that can get kind of stressful too. You got this perfect Turkey, but a couple stray BBs, you know, hit it back here one spot and then all, you know, bled a little bit. And now those feathers won't look quite perfect. And so that's always, you know, kind of, a tough part about turkeys, but hmm. so I suppose all of the mounts will probably be them all strutted up and showing off and whatnot. Is that make it? I guess the skin is the skinnier the way, but I was just wondering, like, do you got to stretch it more or something? Because you know, like when you get it, it's not going to be obviously dead, so it's not going to be strutted up. But I suppose the skin is the skin, so you don't really have to worry about stretching. It's always going to be able to go to that shape. But for measurement-wise, is it kind of like a universal uh, mold? Or do you have to adjust it to the skin after you get it on or what? They have uh, – there's a couple different sizes, and usually they go by weight with turkeys, um, which can also vary, like, I don't know, like depending on the area of the U.S., like some turkeys – they weigh more, but their or you know their weight doesn't always 
correlate with the size of their body for whatever reason. Maybe it's fat content or whatever. Um, but so I usually just keep a few different sizes on hand, kind of test fit them. Um, but yeah, as far as like the grooming and stuff like that, like the when you're fleshing it, you don't want to. There's like memory in the feathers. The same with the ducks too. Like if you overflush them, um, they lose their like memory, uh, and they kind of they know where to go. But if you overflush them, then they don't know where to go, and uh, so there's just a little bit of sorting that you have to do and um, different adhesives and stuff to keep the you know that back standing up, the saddle standing up when they're strutting and stuff like that. I guess, is there uh, anything else on turkeys that we should know? That was all the questions they had for you. Um, uh, I would tell people around here uh, to save, like, if they shoot a turkey and it's in good shape, um, like, to bring it in sometimes and I'll, like, skin it out anyways. If they want me to do, like, a fan mount or something, and I'll just skin it out. And uh, save that for, like, parts, you know, in case somebody does have a, an area that's, um, like, say their wing is shot up or something, you know, maybe take a wing from a different bird and make, you know, replace it so it looks nicer. And um, and then I always save the heads, too, because, like, the companies that freeze-dry the heads, like, a lot of people use freeze-dried heads. I'm trying to get away from them and use cast fake heads, but... Um, a lot of the freeze dry companies are looking for heads and you know most people clean a turkey and they just throw their carcass in the woods or whatever and um if their heads aren't shot up i i try to save them and then i can i can send them to uh these freeze dry companies and then they can use them and sell to people um you know if i do have to get a few freeze dried they give you like a credit on them i think i don't know what it is five bucks or something off of your heads that you needed freeze dried so it's just nice like i don't know anytime that you can use something instead of throw it away i guess it's kind of nice so you know you could ask your and turkeys are beautiful like they're i'm always trying to save all their feathers i don't know what i'm going to do with them but um you know you could ask if you have a local tax service just ask them if you know hey if i shoot a turkey do you want any parts or you want the head or you know you could always if you know any taxidermists you could always ask how realistic do those uh oh. how realistic those cast heads look, I guess. Um they used to look really bad. Yeah. Um they I've, just started... I've seen one and it looked like a plastic head. Yeah, there's a, a new um the guy that makes all the bodies and stuff and I did my turkey training with he did um just came out with a couple different ones and uh they look a lot better. The only thing that you don't get with these botten cast heads is like those little tiny feathers on the head, um, which for me, like a freeze dried head, it's still like there can still be like a little bit of meat in there or something, you know. And like I always worry about bugs. Cause I've heard of people's freeze dried heads getting eaten by bugs, and you don't want to ever attract any bugs to your mounts or whatever. So to me, it's like, it's worth it to give up that like little tiny hair that nobody's ever going to notice or whatever. Um, 
but I still, you know, if people are adamant on having a freeze dried head, I just, I charge a little bit more because I have to send it down to, uh, the guy that's doing mine is in Missouri. So I have to like pay two day shipping UPS to send them down there. And it's kind of expensive. And then, you know, they're almost a hundred dollars for the freeze dry service. So, um, it gets to be a little extra headache where if I can just order a cast head in the catalog and, and they paint a lot nicer and look a little bit uh, more like fleshy, I think, than the freeze-dried heads because you're starting with a nice plastic white product versus a, a brown, like, cardboard-looking head, you know? Yeah. So That's the thing on it because most of the things you mount are got feathers or hair or something covering it. There's not much skin showing. That turkey head is skin. So to make dead skin or plastic look like live skin is... That's got to be yeah. tough. And then all those little hairs that people like to see too, you got to like um, clean them off or try to paint around them. Um, this is kind of a headache. And and I get I, I fully understand why people would want it, you know. Um, it's just for, I don't know, it just, I just think I can make a little bit nicer looking product at, in the end with the cast heads. But I might, I don't know, in a couple of years, I might change my mind again. But it sounds like you're going to have to get into freeze drying heads if it's 100 bucks a pop. You can make some cash off of that. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was actually thinking if I could learn how to, people actually do, uh, it's called slip casting. And usually it's people do it for like competitions. But um, do you like make a mold of the head or, you know, you mold the actual head when it's frozen? And then you let it rot, and I don't know a whole lot about it, but you actually like pull the head out, and all the hairs stay in, in the mold. mold. Oh. And then when you when you pour the plastic in, it grabs onto the hairs and pulls the hairs out. So you get a cast head with hairs on it. Um, and I don't. There's a few people that know how to do it, and there's like a a video on it that you can buy. Um, I haven't messed with it yet. I probably will like someday. Well, the but, thing uh, is, is getting that head too into like a shape that doesn't look like a dead turkey head all weird and yeah, give you, you in like, it. Yeah, you pose it up in your freezer basically. Oh, okay. Um, and then put it in the cast. Yeah, so like you'd set it like it would be strutting. And, and I don't know, like I, I don't know a lot about it yet. So I just kind of, another taxidermist was telling me about it. He's like, you know, why don't you just do that? You know, I could probably charge the same amount because you, you gotta you can only get one head out of your mold and then all your hairs are gone so you're wasting a bunch of silicone or whatever you use for your mold so um plus you got a rotten that, bird head sitting in your shop yeah right yeah that yeah it's, it'd be probably sitting outside somewhere then you gotta worry about your local raccoon grabbing that thing and all of a sudden you're out silicone in the head yeah no kidding it's like this is what a this is what a freeze-dried head looks like not to so make it, seat. Yeah. It's like cardboard, basically. They are such an ugly, ugly thing. <laughs> All them <laughs> folds and shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're not super nice. I just got my uh, first one this weekend. And he was laying oh, nice. down the tailgate. And his, you know, snood was hanging down over his beak, just hanging off the end of the tailgate. My son yeah. was flicking that thing around. <laughs> my, my dad's got a tame turkey. 
Um, it's a bronze, I think it's called. And his snood's got to be like nine inches long. It just, <laughs> and I'll, I'll just like grab it, and like lift it up, and like <laughs> just mess with them. Get a hand uh, around him and see how small that thing gets. <laughs> right. Oh, those yeah, things. They're yeah, ugly uh, but beautiful at the same time. But man, if you look at them close, yeah. all that skin like folded up, ugh, just looks nasty. Most people, when they, if I have a turkey in here, it's like every other person that comes in, will, one will say they're the most beautiful bird, and then the next person will say it's the ugliest bird. I'm right in the middle. So I think I, it's both. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, a good mounted turkey is one of the coolest mounts there is, I think. But it's just getting that head to look lifelike. Like I said, I've I I haven't seen very many turkey mounts. It's not really a big thing that I've seen, but I've seen one, and it had a plastic head, and you can tell it was just like this cool looking bird, and then there's just like this hunk of red plastic stuck to it to the head, and yeah. it, it looked terrible. <laughs> Yours was a Miriam's that I'm assuming you shot out there. Yep. Yep. Awesome. They're my favorite. Uh, one of I don't know. I just think they're cool because we don't have them here. But I guess they're cool. People on the show are kind of wondering if I got one, if I would tell a story and how it happened. So I guess if you got a second, if you want to hear the tale sure. on it, sure. Yeah, this will be. Turkey. Yeah, this will be the first episode. Well, I guess it was an episode that went out last weekend, but it was, or just a couple days ago, but it was recorded before this happened. So it was Mother's Day, so that would have been this Sunday. And we got back from my parents and we had like two hours to kill. So me and my son jumped in the pickup and went out down to the river where the turkeys are. And we were pretty much just going to cruise around to see if we couldn't see any. If we could, I might try to stock up on one, but that was it. And Well, sure enough, as soon as we kind of got into the area where the turkeys are, there was just, there's a, so it was like a cut, like a draw going up from the road up. And this is like Missouri river breaks. So it's like nasty, hard country. So there's a draw going up, let's say going north and south, and then coming off that draw on the west side, there was two little fingers that went from the east to the west, and they were kind of like joined right in the middle, right at the draw, so they like formed a V with a little ridge between them. Anyways, right on that ridge, as we were driving, I looked over, and through the trees I could see a turkey all strutted up there about 100 yards away. So I locked up the brakes, and I pulled over, and I looked at my phone on Onyx, and it was state land, so... I asked my son, do you want to come with, or do you want to sit in here in the AC and listen to music? And he had been on enough failed turkey stocks already this year that he wanted to listen to music. So he sat in the pickup. I got out, and uh, I didn't have the bow with since we were just going. The short little one, I just brought the shotgun. And I got out, and I got all the way around him. And I got like from 50, 50-ish yards from where I had last seen him, kind of snuck my way in. It took me about 20 minutes to get all the way around there because it's such like rough shit to get in there. I got in there, got behind this little juniper, and uh, I forgot my decoys back in the truck. But I got out the uh, slate call, scratched on it a little bit, did a couple, uh, not purrs, but see, I'm young enough in turkey hunting, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yelps or whatever. That. And uh, he gobbled right back and sounded like he was like right there. So I got ready and I did it again and he did it again and he was closer, gobbled. So I peeked around the uh, juniper and there he was, strutted up. 30 yards he must have heard the first one come running in and then started to strut and he was right there and so i just kind of peeked around the tree and then he saw me and he went out of strut and he stuck his head up and kind of like did like a doe whitetail do so you kind of see something doing that little head bob thing so i swung around the tree and boom whacked him and 
He dropped, and I ran up there to grab him. And right as I reached out to grab him, he jumped up and took off running and ran down into <laughs> that draw, down to the thickest buck brush with uh, needles and oh, pines yeah. and everything sticking out of it and just curled up down in there with just his head poking up. So I crawled down there. And I couldn't reach in far enough to get him. And every time I tried to reach in, he crawled a little bit further away from me. So I crawled in. And finally, we kind of got to the point where he's in the middle and I wasn't getting any closer, if even if I wanted to. So I just stuck the shotgun in, finished him off, and then had to go out and get another stick. He was literally so far in there, I couldn't crawl in any further. And I had to like get a hook stick to drag him out a little bit, grab him by the foot and got him out, and then Damn. brought him back. So, I mean, it wasn't like the perfect roost them put out a decoy and call them in type of deal but yep i called them in what 20 yards and got them all straight up for me and did it but yeah so that's my first actual actual turkey that wasn't just uh see a turkey in the draw and shoot it type of deal like i actually kind of worked for it so yeah that was it that's like, yeah they're they're pretty cool i've only like called in i first my first turkey i snuck up on kind of like that but never called or anything it was i just got close enough and then like i called in two toms but they were never like strutting you know they're just like kind of just curious like they heard me and came in but like never saw a decoy um so i shot both of those like kind of just creeping through the woods looking and then uh this year i called in there's there's three jakes actually and once they saw my decoy they like full strut you know and come in and like i had i had just called and heard them and just kind of got close and set up um but yeah they were full strut like coming up to the decoys and, and even before they got there i i could hear them spitting and drumming and i'm like just getting super excited and then i saw it was those jakes so i was kind of bummed but i was just so excited like i actually got birds strutting you know in the decoy and they're at the decoy and um it's like i don't care like i saw the first two were jakes and then the third one he was still strutting but i couldn't see his beard so i'm like well maybe it's a tom so i shot the one that i couldn't see its beard i knew it was a male obviously but um i shot that one just thinking like well maybe maybe that one's a tom but it was the third jake and (laughs) but it was cool though i was i was definitely excited yeah yeah i wish i could uh i guess that story was on there when we did the uh, crossover with the part-time hunter podcast, but that one with Ben, where we had him work and we had some Jakes coming in behind us. We had a Tom in front of us all started up and goblin and stuff. But yeah, this one, I wish I would have, well, I wish I would have talked to you or Daniel Gross about it. I, when I cut off the fan, I did it right where I cut off or like it had the fan and then all the feathers in front of it and whatnot. Well, and then I was reading online like an idiot and it said, don't cut off too much or whatever kind of, you can kind of feel where the fan is supposed to be. So I was an idiot and I cut mm-hmm. off that front layer of feathers in front of it with all the cool colors oh. and shit. But yeah. luckily I cut it off like in one chunk. So it was all still together with some meat holding it together. So yeah. I'm just salting them both like the fan and then that it by itself. And then I'll just glue them together, pin them together or whatever yeah. when I mount them. But yeah, you should like, uh, you probably like put some bondo and stick them on there or like uh that five minute epoxy you know where it's like yeah. there's like, jb weld five minute stuff yeah you just put the epoxy it and, one yep yeah now that if you just mix that up and put it like on your quills and then just stick the whatever your mat of feathers on there it should work yeah 
Yeah, it's it's nice to get as many of those front feathers as you can, but it's also hard to like get them all to fit in the plaque sometimes when you get too many of those feathers in the front. Sometimes it's hard to like fit it between your like put on a plaque and then there's just a little bit of space between that and the wall sometimes, but but yeah. Yeah, there's all those feathers are pretty. Yeah, that and then I had cut off the feet too cuz I was going to do something with the spurs too and well, it's, it's kind of funny because I was talking to Daniel after I got it. He called me to congratulate me, which was very nice of him. But uh, anyways, I was talking to him. He's asking me what I was going to do with the spurs. I was like, well, I actually got to find them. I don't remember where I put those. Well, what happened was I brought the fan and the beard and the spurs, like the legs, out back. And when I was stapling the fan to my board before I uh, you know, would pin it so I was all fanned out and stuff, well, I set down that beard and the spurs right next to me. And I must not have been paying attention when my dogs come up and grab the two legs. I didn't even notice it. And they just kind of disappeared, did whatever they were doing in the yard. And I put the fan up and then I brought the beard in. And I put that in a solo cup with the salt. And then we were cooking supper and got busy. And then Daniel called me. And then that's when I realized that I didn't know where those legs were. So we looked all over the place. My wife was looking all over. I was looking all over. We were looking at the pickup and the garbage where I had thrown the uh, rest of the turkey all over wherever I had driven all over in the house, all over in the pickups. The last thing I wanted was to find it in my pickup the next day after it sat out there in the sun all day, but couldn't find them, yeah. couldn't find them. Anyways, that evening, uh, I let the dogs back outside. As soon as they went outside, they went to the same spot in the yard, and then the one lifted its head up, and I could just see one little claw hanging out of its, out of its mouth. I went up there, and there was like a half a foot was all that was left. They had them. They had gotten oh, them, so. That's funny. That's like really similar to the first turkey I ever called in. Um, I didn't even know spurs were like a big thing. I just thought it was the beard that was like the cool part of the turkey. And, um, so I don't even know how big a spurs were on that thing. I threw the feet away. Um, but the beard, my dog had grabbed it off the table when I was cleaning the turkey. And I, I think it was the dog. It was either that or the chickens. I ended up just picking up all the little strands off the ground and put them. I put Bondo in the brass of the shotgun shell and then like stuck them all in there. So it looks a little funky, but at least I have the beard. But I have no idea what the spurs were like on that one. Never even looked at them. Yeah, I didn't even think about grabbing the shells or anything. I was so worked up. I thought I I was so excited to actually get one after all that time I put into it. And then it took off running, and it all right. kind of just turned into a fiasco. So shells are the last thing on my mind. Right, right. I should probably go back and take the boy out for a walk, see if we can't find them like a scavenger hunt. I left mine this year too. I didn't even, I got so excited. I know exactly where it's at. I can just go get it, but I don't know. I was just, I got too excited and forgot, but yeah, that's actually a really good idea. I should take the boy back out there and have him see if he can't find them. It's like a shed hunt. Yeah. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly where they're going to be at. I know what tree I was behind and everything. Right. And then I know obviously what brush I crawled into. I probably got skin hanging off of it. So I should be able to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So the big question, you bring in your bird and you might not see it for a year and a half in some places, but when you start on a bird to, to when you finish it, how long is it actually once you start on a singular bird? Um, some take a little longer than others, but like usually a duck, like I plan to do one a day. Um, and that's like start to finish. Like you'll have it. All posed yep, up and, and then, ready to go in a day. Yeah, uh, and then it's 
it, it takes a couple weeks to dry. So throughout those two weeks, I'll, um, there's some things that you got to kind of adjust on and, um, move some feathers around maybe, or, um, something you maybe didn't see that when you put it together, but, um, especially like flying birds, I'll, there's a lot of like carding that I'll put on to kind of like hold stuff down and I'll like put it on overnight, take it off in the morning. Cause some, it'll, it'll not dry as good if it's on there the whole time. So, um, but yeah, I usually try to like, I make my schedule to about four birds a week. Um, so that's kind of how I just figure my lead time. I just have like a calendar when a guy drops a bird off, I write them down somewhere Monday through Thursday. Um, snow geese and Canada geese, sometimes I'll write, keep like two days open for those. They take a little bit longer to do. Um, but yeah, ducks I can usually do in a day, one a day. That's not bad. So long as it take you to a turkey then, if it's I do, I do at least like two days for those, usually. Yeah. See, I was thinking you were going to say it was going to take like a week per bird. No, not quite. Um, like yeah, just the work and not the drying or anything. Like I was thinking just like work yeah. itself. But right. I guess well, if you're just like focusing on that bird for the day and you're not like doing a bunch at a time. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so I'll, I mean, there there's times where it's taken longer than normal. Um, you know, stuff don't, not going right or whatever. But and it used to take me a lot longer, you know. But it you get kind of like a a rhythm or a um, kind of a pattern that you like to do and get better at it. So okay. Somebody asked, do you ever keep the meat off the birds? Uh, no, I, I mean, I usually have enough ducks, duck meat to eat, uh, so I don't need it. If I really, if we were like in a situation where we didn't have any food, I'd probably think about it, but, um, our freezers are usually, you're trying to move stuff around to shut the, um, lid on it between venison and ducks and geese and pork and, you know, whatever, so. Um, yeah, I've never really wanted to keep anything. Um, I wonder if legally there would be an issue with that too, since you didn't shoot it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you know, like as far as in my possession, it's fine because like I have a bird to every bird has a tag with the person's info that shot it. So it's just like, if you, you know, like, uh, a lot of guides are doing those bird tags you're supposed to, I think everybody's supposed to, but usually it's the guides that are more worried about it, you know? um having tags on everybody's birds but um yeah i don't know i don't know that you'd ever get in trouble for reading it but i just you know i don't know what that person did they're supposed to put it right in the freezer and get it cold right away but i don't know if it sat in their fridge for a day while they thought about it with the guts in it or sat i don't know you know like i just don't know what happened with it and then being frozen for a year three or whatever um with the guts in it i don't know i don't know if it may affects it but it doesn't it, the meat doesn't look as good when it's yeah when you thaw it out and skin it as it does when you first clean a bird or when you clean a fresh bird um the only time i would probably do it was like if if uh somebody had a turkey like a lot of times people bring their turkeys in right when they shoot it um so sometimes if they didn't if they didn't want meat i would like maybe save it then because it seems like a waste to just throw it 
Yeah. See, that's I, what that- I was thinking of that when you were talking about somebody bringing in the turkey. Like, that's a lot of meat after I just cut that off of this one here. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of meat just to bring in and waste just to get it mounted. But, right. Um, yep. Do you ever have anybody ask for their meat back? Like, they ever say, hey, can you skin? can you just skin this one out now and then let me take the meat? Not with ducks, I don't think, ever. Um, I had a guy bring in a bird and, like, he cleaned it <laughs> and then brought it in. That um, It didn't work out. Um, <laughs> You're saying you didn't quite have precise cuts? Yeah, I don't know. And it was... Yeah, it was all, it was not cut up well. Um, he's like, well, I watched a video. <laughs> um, but, but your pocket knife that's been in your pocket for three years without hitting a sharpening stone didn't quite do a good enough job. Right. I've had people, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to because I don't, I don't know, but like people have obviously asked for their turkey meat because that's a lot. And most people, um, want it, you know, so I'll just skin it out quick for them and give them their meat or whatever or i'll just have them come back in a hour if they're like live in town or something i'll just have them come back and grab it yeah see that's always kind of been my conundrum with getting something mounted like a bird wise like deer obviously i know how to skin a deer to where you can mount it i know how to do it i've seen enough videos and i've done it enough for people that i know how to do that and yeah. so i can get all the, i can get the skin off and then you can deal with all the meat later but with a bird most of the time you're just bringing in a full bird and it's always kind of a a conundrum to me because I enjoy wild game a lot. So I don't quite yeah. want to just give one up to look at it skin on the wall. I'd rather eat it. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of, um, kind of a toss up in your head, you know? Um, cause it's, I mean, there's, I see all of them, you know, they just, the meat just goes to waste. And, um, you know, I, if a guy can get it with like a, a trapper or something, you know, and he could use it for a bait pile or something. I know I had a buddy that um, talked about maybe having me save some for him and, you know, maybe using it for bait or something. But, you know, at least then it's like getting a use out of it of some sort besides. I bet um, you that like duck breast and stuff would be great for catfish bait once you got in the summertime. Cause, I mean, chicken breast works out perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Huh. We don't yeah, really have a bird tax limits in the area, so I really don't have the yeah. issue. I'd have to be shipping it off anyways. Yeah. No, I've never had anybody ask to like clean their duck, I don't think. Not that I can remember. If I get something really cool and I want to ship it off to you to get mounted, I'll probably FaceTime you or something and have you walk me through how to clean it, how to there you go. get it scun out right so I don't mess up. Yep. You'll put a big hole right by his eye. Yeah. Chop off the head. Make sure you lob off the feet. Yeah. Yep. So I guess if someone is, would you be willing to give out some pointers if someone wanted to, was thinking about doing something like that? Or is that something you should probably avoid so they don't mess it up? I don't know. I think, I think you should probably just not. um, The guy that cleaned that one, it was like his his first duck or something like that. He wanted to eat it real bad. Um, I don't know. I guess I, you know, I, if somebody was really adamant on it, I would probably help them figure out how to get it skun out. But um, I don't know. Most people are going to shoot another duck, or you know, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say for me. Like I've got birds in the freezer to get mounted, and I didn't clean them because 
Uh, one thing too, when you take the body out, you're exposing more of that skin to get freezer burnt too. I suppose. Um, so a lot of times if you're going to skin them out right away, you, you want to freeze them like completely submerged in water. Um, like when you do like fish, freeze fish that way they don't, um, yeah. Freezer burn. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of, I, I've heard of guys mounting, um, I remember when I first started, I read an article, a guy mounted a duck that was froze in water. Like the skin was frozen water. Um, in like the eighties, it was a bluebill, I think. And, uh, he just mounted it a, a couple years ago now. And it was like, the skin was just like, he just shot it. Yeah. So it was kind of impressive. Well, that's why I like they're finding mammoths and stuff now that are still like in perfect condition. Cause they're frozen in the water. True. It's kind of crazy to think about, but. Yep. Whatever. That's above my pay grade. Maybe have a, be like a delicacy one day, a little, little chunk of that mammoth meat. Well, there was that dude that was on Joe Rogan that finds all those mammoths up in Alaska. He said that they ate some of it around a campfire. Yeah. Yeah. I think they talked about that on Meat Eater too. I listened, I think I listened to that podcast. I'd be worried about what diseases from the ice age you just contracted. Right. <laughs> There's a reason they all died off. Right. Um. In your opinion, what is the ugliest bird? Waterfowl wise. I was to say cormorant. <laughs> Cormorants don't count. Everyone hates those. Um. That I've mounted, maybe like, or like that you could mount. Yeah. Like what? What species do you look at? You're like, yeah. I don't know why you would want to do that. Or you can't say coot either. No, I like coots. I actually have two in the freezer. Me and my <laughs> have one we're going to mount. Those feet, it's like her fa- Those feet gross me out. Yeah, it's like her favorite uh, bird. Like She always shoots them. Um, probably a Canada goose. I don't know, just a plain one without any white on it, anything like that. I, they, they're, they are pretty, but like... A goose is a goose is a goose. They're just like all the same. Seems like yeah, I've seen some really. I mean, there's some nice mounts. You get get one late season. They're kind of pretty, but like I just mounted one from like September. It was a kid's first goose or something, and it's just like just not nice, you know. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, I think pretty much all birds are pretty. I don't. I can't think of any that I was like, man, that's ugly. Um, some of those sea ducks got pretty ugly faces. They're cool because yeah. it's odd to see them, but they got some ugly big old noses on them. Oh yeah. Those scoters they got. Yeah. The scoters are kind of goofy looking like white wings and surf scoters. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely a little different. Yeah. I don't know. I would say like every time if somebody just brings in a plain old Canada goose, I just kind of like, I want to know why. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be probably... if, like if it's your first one like that kids or if you're like there's some guys that want to shoot one of each species and then they want that mounted like yeah. the people with money people the yeah. opposite of me i want to do that i can understand that but like my dad's got one mounted it's in my grandparents basement but it's the biggest goose that i've ever seen and that's why they did it because it was giant like it's huge yeah. huge but other yeah. than that i mean if it's your first goose or you know whatever well, like I'll be honest, I'll probably mount one one day. You know, well, actually, I did. Never mind. I I mounted one for uh, mounted one for the show last year because the like 
avian challenge was uh, any goose, and it was one I shot in New Jersey, so it's like the Atlantic population. So it's just like a different one. So I figured, why not mount one while I got one there? Um, but yeah, I'll probably mount like a giant Canada here, especially you know maybe I'd do like a banded one. I some of the ones I get in, I'd say most of the ones that I get in, if they aren't like a Quill Lake, they are like a double band out of Fergus or something out of Fergus Falls there. Yeah. Sometimes people want them. Okay. Before we run out of time here, let's roll in a couple quick ones. How many birds okay. do you have mounted for yourself? Like how many personal birds do you have? Um, I think we got about probably like 15 or 20, 15 maybe. No, I haven't done all of them. Some of them I had done when I was a kid. Okay. I've probably, I probably done like six or eight. They all in the house, or you just got them out in the shop? Show most, of, most of them are in our house. Um, I have some of my dad's that I had mounted when I was a kid that don't look super good. I didn't bring them over here, but yeah. I um, need the customer seeing those. Yeah, right. I got. Um, I had a few birds mounted when I was a kid. One of them's like. Uh, was just before I started. That's pretty decent. And then um, me and my wife have a couple of quail or. Uh, grouse and ptarmigan um from alaska mounted That'd but cool. yeah otherwise uh waterfalls pretty much everything we got down there uh she's got a turkey mounted too um probably like seven years ago i think she shot her first turkey and got it mounted so that's also in the house but do you have a rough number of how many birds you yourself have mounted um i was actually today i was just thinking i should try to like figure out what the number is just so i know but um i would guess between four and six hundred <laughs> probably Somewhere closer to six. yeah I, i'd have to sit down and think about it but where do you think if, your biggest improvement was in those birds like between numbers one and 100 or between like 100 and 400 or i think around 100 100 to 200 was probably that's where everybody says it like you start to like really get it too. Um, that's also about the time I did my first like training class too, was probably around like that 60, 70. So I probably, probably 70. Um, so I, I would say like around that hundred between a hundred and 200, I probably like started to like, and I still, there's times where I struggle with stuff and I just like, I can't, I'm like, what is going on? And then I just, take a break or something and come back and then it goes together. Um, but yeah, like the, for the most part, I would say around that time I started to feel pretty comfortable. How many start or how long did it take you to get to that many? That would have been probably between like after my first year, but between my first year and second year, like, so in my second year of doing it, I suppose. Cause I took that training class, like just a little bit after my first year like was you know one year of doing it so yeah probably like around a year and a half two years i probably hit that 100 150 mark was there anybody in those earlier years that you uh ever considered being like hey i owe you a better mount one of these days or anything like that yeah i've thought about it you know but i didn't really charge hardly anything for them either they i mean they kind of knew they knew it was uh, more of a practice than anything yeah, it was like a hundred dollars a bird, just like so cover the cost and you know maybe make a little bit of cash on the side or whatever you know. Um, 
I actually just had a buddy bring over, like I mounted these four blue bills for him. And, um, it was like the seventh or fifth to the eighth duck. I think I mounted. And like, they just had like, one of them had some grease, like kind of on the feathers coming through. And I just like cleaned it up for him or whatever. Cause he's like, well, you said if it ever happened to bring to let you know. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. You know, it's like, I might as well, you were able, you know, you put your, uh, faith in me to give it a try so i'll do that for you but what is what's the hardest poses like per birds like ducks versus geese versus i guess turkey's pretty much got one pose but right uh well like turkey's like a gobbling pose is kind of tough um but like no ducks and geese both i like my least favorite one to do is like a cupped pose like a, like what you see when they're kind of just gliding, you know. And the thing is, it's just like trying to get the wings perfectly symmetrical. Like I feel like some of the other more extreme radical wing poses, like the angel wing or backpedaling, whatever, you can just get away with a little bit of symmetry being off because there's so much action to it. Where when you see a goose or a duck just gliding in, I mean, like, you're just it's like still you know like nothing's moving they're just like you know they might tip side to side but they're just kind of settling in and um so like there's a lot of just perfect symmetry in that they're just holding their wings tight and um i feel like it's really easy to just have things be off just a tiny bit and you know maybe still looks good but just something's not quite right or something so that's probably was the question my least favorite to do or the hardest hardest to do yeah i think let me see what they right. said i can't remember they either said the hardest or your least favorite i think it was yeah. least favorite i mean yeah that down. yeah i would say my least favorite and it's probably the hardest one to get to get perfect especially if you're wondering like for a competition like i'll probably never do a cup a cupped bird for a competition unless i start to get comfortable with them one day for some reason but um yeah yeah that's pretty tough okay this one was uh well we'll do one more before the last one that's a two-parter what was your dream job if you weren't a taxidermist now what you're doing what's your dream job if you weren't doing taxidermy um i always i always wanted thought it'd be fun to be a like a hunting or a fishing guide probably like waterfowl um now that i know more about that it's probably a lot harder than a person thinks um yeah, you're not just going out shooting birds every day yeah yeah probably working for an outfitter would be a lot better than trying to be an outfitter yourself but um it's still hard but like at least you have something you know uh already started for you um i don't know like fishing a fishing guide would would be pretty fun you know but it's all you're dealing with a wild animal fish whatever and you know they they're not guaranteed all the time so it, it'd be really hard to take somebody hunting and then have a bad day and take their money and not feel bad about it but yeah um yeah that's kind of the only other thing i ever wanted to do uh i was wanted to do taxidermy since i was a little kid so but the hunting and fishing guide thing was definitely, um, or like owning a resort, like a fishing resort always was kind of something that was on my mind when I was a kid. Like if I could just 
own a resort and have, you know, like rental fish houses and stuff like that. You know, when you're a kid, you think it's all easy, but, um, now it's like, wow, that'd be a headache. <laughs> be a headache, but I mean, it'd be pretty cool to, uh, own a resort, just hang out in the big room with the pool table and have your own bar and shit. And you're on the mm-hmm. lake, you can go fishing if you want. Yep. Again, that's kind of a dream. Most likely you'll be on clogging toilets and shit like that all day. <laughs> right. From Maybe dudes that have been out fishing for four fun. days and drinking beer and eating Slim Jims nonstop. So. Yeah, right. Yep. All right. So the two-parter, a kid asked this. I guess kid. I think he's a teenager. But um, would you recommend taxidermy as a career? Why and why not? And then the second part is, if someone wanted to get in as an apprentice, what do they expect? What should you expect? Um, so I would say yes. You would definitely have the potential to be very successful because there is more work out there than there are taxidermists to do it. Everybody I that's... I can approve of that here in this area. We have one and he doesn't... I don't think he's ever touched a bird in his life. Yeah. Um, there's way more... There's like every there's nobody that you talk to that's looking for work if they're halfway decent at taxidermy. Uh, you know, it's hard to like say. You know, it kind of depends on where you live, I suppose. On if you know, but like I would suggest specializing in something. You know, if you're gonna go into it, like whatever your passion is, big game or small game or waterfall. Like I feel like big game and waterfall. There's like a ton of work for. Um, and I would assume that it would stay, you know, everybody mounts stuff. It's crazy. Like it's uh, more than I ever thought. Um, everybody's swamped with work and there's a lot of, there's a lot of like old people, you know, the old time taxidermists that everybody knows about they're retiring. Like they're getting to that age where a lot of them are retiring soon. And I don't think there's a ton of people you know, say in their twenties that are doing it. There's some middle-aged guys, but, um, I feel like a lot of the taxidermists are old guys. Um, so yeah, there's definitely room for people to fill in. And, um, if you think if, if there's like a chance that you would be, if you think there's any chance you'd be good at it, or you have like an eye for that or just, you see you're out in nature and see the stuff a lot. I would say it's definitely worth making that your career, I guess. I mean, I didn't know. I just, I was just going to kind of do it part time. And in like two years, I was, or two and a half, whatever. I remember how, no, a year and a half. And I quit my job because it was like just coming in fast. But like, I just specialized in, I just wanted to do birds and all of a sudden I had hundreds of birds coming in and didn't know how I was going to keep working eight hours and then coming home and do another seven, eight hours. So, okay. And then the second part, um, if you were going to apprentice with a taxidermist that's experienced, you could probably expect to do a lot of the less fun stuff right away. Um, but, like as far like as prob- what would you say is the less fun stuff? Like you're probably gonna he's gonna show you how to do the the flushing or the 
maybe it's just going to be prep work. So like if you're going to go be uh, a deer taxidermist um, and you, you know, you go apprentice with a guy that just mounts deer and he's going to want you to like prep the forms, prep the hides. So that's like however they do it, dremeling or whatever, thinning down the skins and, you know, uh, doing a little bit of carving on the form or uh, roughing the form up and um, maybe sculpt me. Maybe it would get to sculpt some eyelids or, or the, um, the eye shape and maybe the ears or something like later on, but you're probably going to do a lot of the more of the laborious, uh, less glory kind of work, you know, um, just like any job. You're going to you know, go home stinky and tired. Yeah. You're just, yeah. We're, um, one day when you get to actually put a bird or a whatever your animal together, you're going to be like, you're going to feel good about it. Cause you got to see the end reward or the, you know, yeah. um, finished product. Or like, if you're going to apprentice with a bird guy, he's probably going to make you flush and wash his birds or you're going to inject feet or you might get to, maybe you'll get to paint feet and, uh, bills or something eventually. But for a while, you're probably going to be just doing the crappier stuff, skinning, flushing, washing and stuff like that. Um, but you might get really good at that part, you know, and, um, you know, eventually they're going to trust you maybe to do something a little more exciting, but definitely a good way to learn, you know, just cause you're not doing it, you can watch them, you know, you can, you're going to be able to see them doing that stuff. So, well, and ask questions too, along the way, it's a lot easier to ask questions and learn about it. If you're actually there, then yeah. Yep. Cause if you if you give up right away and you're going to go try it yourself, he's probably not going to answer the phone when you call him for a question. Yeah. Yeah. True. Before we go, is there uh, anything else that we might've missed this time? I'm sure. I'll think of something in about 10 minutes. Yeah. He'll text me again. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I honestly thought about last time calling you back and me like having a little addendum to throw onto the end. I was like, ah, oh, shit. We're, yeah. we're already done. Yeah, no, we could have done that, I guess, but um, no, I don't think so. All right, cool. Well, I guess thanks for coming on and spending yeah. a weeknight with us. Yeah, it's all right. Hope we, um, hope we were able to answer the questions correctly and clearly and helpfully. So yeah, I guess if anyone else has any more questions, you could uh, send them in to me, or you could probably ask Zach. I guess I wouldn't call him and ask a bunch of dumb questions, but like if you He's want. Send me a message if, I, if I'm busy. I probably won't reply for a bit, but we'll try. Yeah. So if they uh, want to get a hold of you, want to get a bird mounted or anything like that, how do they do it? Yeah, just message me. Facebook's usually the most popular um, on my on Northern Pursuit Taxidermy page. Um, just shoot me a message on there. Otherwise, you can text or call me to um, my phone numbers on my page. But, um, yeah, usually the messenger on there is pretty handy and keep everybody uh organized that way so yeah i'm kind of in that same boat with farmers i get about 18 texts per hour and they're all numbers i don't have names for so then trying to keep them all sorted out is yeah i don't want to put them all on your phone either like yeah farmer that's greg I... on farmer ralph <laughs> yeah, that's why i have a work phone for that reason my personal yeah. phone number does not get out to very many farmers because it's nice to come in on Monday morning and see text from Sunday at 10 o'clock on your work phone that didn't come to your personal phone. So Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you later. Yep. Thanks.